Thanks for listening to the Aspire Church podcast. Visit us at aspirejacks.org to access additional resources or to learn more about the ministries of Aspire Church. Glad you're here. If I haven't met you already, my name is Gary Weber. I'm the pastor here at Aspire Church San Marco, and we're so glad you have joined us today. And if I haven't met you, that probably means you haven't met my dog. And this is my dog. This is Benny. I know. Listen, you can't go wrong when you start a sermon with a dog or a baby. So this is Benny. Uh, Benny is actually our daughter Macy's dog, but she shares us with us. She shares him with us. And so uh, we love Benny. Benny's a great dog. Benny is probably the smartest dog we've ever owned. He is sweet and kind. He's got all these great qualities. But my favorite thing about Benny is that Benny never worries about the future, ever. Benny is always 100% fully present, especially if somebody's got food. Benny is fully present. I sit down with some popcorn and Benny loves popcorn and Benny's attention, he is on me like a laser beam focused on that popcorn. When our grandson Noah comes over, you know, he's at that age where things don't always stay on the tray. And Benny loves Noah. Benny loves it when Noah comes over. Benny is always, Benny never worries about tomorrow. He never worries about anything in the future. In fact, the the furthest ahead Benny ever thinks past the moment is if we're putting our shoes on. And Benny has one of two thoughts when we put our shoes on. One is, oh boy, we're going to go for a walk. Or the other is, they may be about to leave me here by myself. But other than that, that's about as far into the future as Benny goes. Now, that's very different from me and from you probably because I am thinking about the future a lot more than Benny does. I think a lot further into the future than Benny does. One of the differences between humans and every other living creature is that humans have a greater capacity to conceptualize the future, which in some ways is good, but come on, in a lot of ways, it can be very bad. Uh, John Ortberg, the writer of the book Soul Keeping, says this, other creatures can live happily for today and not think about tomorrow, but not us. Our blessing and our curse is our ability to extend ourselves into tomorrow. There is no future in it is the main reason people give for leaving a relationship or a job or a home. We cannot help this about ourselves. The soul needs a future. This is a problem. Because we are not just souls, we are enfleshed souls, and we know what happens to flesh. See, here's what John Ortberg is saying. He says, you can conceptualize the future. There is something inside of you that is always looking forward into the future, that longs for the future. The problem is you instinctively know that your body will not last for eternity. So there's a disconnect between what happens inside our souls and what is happening in our flesh. The, the writer, uh, Isaiah the prophet, uh, said it this way, Isaiah 40, verse, uh, chapter 40, verse 6 and 7, all flesh is grass. Isn't that encouraging? I don't know how often you mow your grass, but grass's lifespan is not long. But he, what he's saying, all flesh is like grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely people are grass. See, you don't have to believe in God. You don't have to believe in the Bible to know that this is true. All you have to do is look at aging athletes and aging glamour models, right? 
Because at their height, their strength, their beauty is renowned worldwide. But just give it a decade or two and you see already that we're like grass. We're like flowers that fade. You don't have to believe anything in the Bible to know that that's true. There's something about us that the minute we're born, as we age, we reach a point and then things begin to go backwards. And we know that somehow our flesh is not going to live forever, but there's still something inside of us that can conceptualize the future far beyond our ability, our body's ability to keep up with us. See, our bodies betray our souls. Our bodies will betray us. Our bodies will let us down, but our souls are always longing for something more. There's something inside of you. There's something inside of all of us that believes that we were not meant to age and to die. This is why, according to Pew Research, 83% of Americans believe in an afterlife. Why? Because somewhere deep inside of them, whether they believe in God or not, whether they go to church or not, they know there is a longing inside of them that goes well beyond the capacity of their body to live. The writer of Ecclesiastes said it this way in Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Now, now think about this for just a second, because this is, this is fascinating. He said every, he's made everything beautiful in its time, meaning that it will expire. There is a time frame around that beauty that he has made. Yet, God has put eternity into the hearts of every person. Eternity is set in your heart and it's evidence that you are not just a self, that you are a soul. That you're not just a collection of neurons and cells and and you are more than that. There is something inside of you that longs for eternity. Your soul was not made for time, but for eternity. God did not plant death inside your heart. He planted eternity there. So what happened? Why would God say that everything is beautiful for a time, but is like grass that is fading or a flower that is fading, and yet place eternity inside of our hearts. Well, this is not how it was meant to be from the beginning. We go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter three, and we see the story of what happened, that God formed man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed life into him, and he set him in this beautiful garden. And in this beautiful garden, there were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There was no restriction from, from Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of life. They could eat from it any time they wanted, but there's, there's, there's no evidence that they even looked at the tree of life. Meanwhile, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, you can eat from any tree you want except do not eat from this tree. Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil actually means a will or determination on our part to, to determine for ourselves, to decide for ourselves what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil. We want the capacity to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. And God said, that is for me and for me alone to decide. But here is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. And so when Adam and Eve ate from the tree, their eyes were open, the scripture says. And immediately something changed in them. And as a result of this, death entered the picture. Biological death came to be a part of this. And this is how God responded from his grace and mercy, evidence from the very beginning as he is seeking to protect us. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, behold, the man has become like one of us. Now, who is God talking to? This is not a a pantheon of gods. God lives in perfect community in himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So he's saying man has become like one of us in knowing 
good from evil or determining, having the ability to say, I will determine for myself what is right and what is wrong. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove him out. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim uh, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. See, in God's grace and God's mercy, God did not want man to live forever in the state of his brokenness and in of his sin and out of his separation from God. So he guarded the tree and said, man will not be able to take and eat from this tree. See, sin is what cut off, cut off our access to the tree of life. And ever since the garden, humans have tried to regain eternity. We have sought to regain for ourselves the future our souls long for. And that's the truth I want to tell you about today as we talk about, continue our series talking about the care and feeding of the human soul. And it is this simple truth. And you instinctively know this is true. Your soul needs a future. Your soul needs a future. It longs for, seeks out, and strives to have a future. This is part of the reason we worry about tomorrow. This is part of the reason we worry about the future. Because inside of you, your soul knows that it was designed for eternity, but it also knows it is enfleshed in a body that is fading. Your soul needs a future. So how do we secure a future for our souls? Well, from the very beginning, man has, has, has tried with all his effort to acquire this eternal life. And there are some secular answers to this question. How does a man, how does a human being guarantee a future for the soul? The secular answers are, are, are pretty simple and you're familiar with them. One is we try to become famous. You see it all the time. People try to make a name for themselves so that their legacy, what they're known for will go on past the time of their body. There's a story in the Bible about people getting together and building a tower. And the reason they wanted to build this great tower to the heavens is so that they could make a name for themselves. And we still try to do that, don't we? We try to make a name for ourselves so that somehow we can hopefully achieve this goal of eternal life. We might try to acquire power. Think of all the kings and all the rulers of the world and all their efforts to conquer and to name cities after themselves. Fame and power or riches and wisdom. We think if we can become rich enough, if we can become wise enough, then somehow that will, that will allow us to tap into that desire for eternity. Think about Solomon, the wisest and richest man ever known. Or maybe we try to do it with beauty. We try to capture beauty in art and architecture, or we try to capture beauty even in physical appearances. But Proverbs 30 says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fading. So there's all these secular ways that people try to acquire eternity in their hearts. But there's also a religious answer. And the religious answer is this, you know, I, I need to do what I can in this life in order to build up credit for myself to have the next life. So in Christianity, sometimes it looks like a life insurance policy. So we, we need to be right with Jesus so that someday when we die, we can all go to heaven, right? That's, that's the idea. I, I need Jesus in my heart. I need to accept Jesus as my savior so that when I die, I will have a guarantee of eternity and we treat him like a life insurance policy. Now, I, I believe that. My hope is in that, but that's not 
quite what Jesus taught. That's a religious answer. Think about the, the children's bedtime prayer we teach our kids. Now I lay me down to sleep. Say it with me. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. What do we, what do we mean by that? Do we mean that I'm going to keep hold of my soul and when I die, then God, you can have my soul? What exactly do we mean when we say that? Well, I'm going to use an illustration I've used before, but it's one that really spoke to me when I first saw it, and I hope it connects with you, because this is sort of the religious answer. We, we have this idea that if, if my arm represents our, our lifespan, so you're born at your shoulder and you die at your hand, this is the life of my physical existence. But because eternity's in my heart, I know something must happen after I die. And so most religious effort is to say, okay, I'm going to live my life in such a way that when I die, I will be able to have some life, some other life after this, whatever that looks like. So whether it's through Islam or Buddhism or uh, any world religion, even Christianity, we think I'm born and I'm somewhere along my life, I'm going to give my life to Christ. And then when I die, I will live forever. I will have eternity secured for me. But this isn't exactly what Jesus taught us. If you look at the teachings of Jesus, it's actually something far better than that. See, he didn't give us the secularist answer and say, hey, make a name for yourself, build a reputation for yourself, acquire power. Nor did he give us the religious answer that said, work really hard and acquire for yourself an eternal life insurance policy. He pointed us towards something much different than that. And if you have your Bible today, I want you to open with me to John chapter 15, because your soul needs a future, and what Jesus taught in John 15 is so important to understand what your soul is actually longing for as it longs for eternity. John 15, verses 1 through 7. Here's what Jesus said. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, you probably picked up on it, but he says remain in me a lot. In four verses, he says four times, remain in me. Remain in me. In me. He goes on in verse 5 and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you, here it is again, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such a branch is picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see, Jesus is not giving in this passage, he's not giving the secularist answer about how to satisfy your soul's longing for eternity. He is not giving the religious answer for how to satisfy your soul's desire for eternity. He is giving the true answer, the only answer. So there are three things in this passage that I think it teaches us about securing a future for our souls. And the first one is this, eternal life is not found out there. Eternal life is not found out there. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, going all the way back to Genesis, 
from the time we were, we were kicked out of the garden, we have been trying to find some answer for eternal life. Whether it's through medicine or technology or through wisdom, whether it's through making a name for ourselves, acquiring power, acquiring wealth, whatever it is, our efforts are all centered around this idea, how do I attain this desire that my soul has for a future? How do I secure that future? Even to some extent, the money you save for retirement is something inside of you driving you for a future, right? There's something that says, I need to be prepared. See, that, that's, that's what we're longing for. That's what we're driving. It's always out there somewhere. The tree of life is out there somewhere. We keep looking for it. But Jesus doesn't point out there to find this answer. He instead points in here. He says, it's not about the outer world, it's about the inner world. If you will remain in me, then I will remain in you. You can't bear fruit unless you remain in me. Eternal life is not found out there. It's found in Jesus. It's found as Jesus comes in and takes up residence in you, as you live a life that is interconnected with Christ. Not just one time. When you're 9, 10, 11, 12, however old you were when you committed your life to Christ, that's good, that's important, that's the start of the journey, but that's all it is. It's just the start. What Jesus is talking about is an ongoing relationship, an ongoing interconnectedness that you find the future your soul is longing for where? In him as you remain in Christ. The second thing this passage teaches us is that eternity doesn't start when we die, It begins and continues in Christ. What does he say? If you remain in me, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is cut off and burned up. What he's saying? He said, if if you're not living in me, you're like a branch that gets disconnected from the vine. It's no longer able to produce and it will eventually die. This is why I think it's important for Christians to realize that even though we may come to faith in Christ at a point in our journey, if we do not remain in Christ, we can still suffer all the consequences of withering and dying apart from Jesus if we're not remaining in him interconnected on a daily basis. You see, the illustration goes like this. If, if I'm born here and I live my life and then someday I'm going to die and whatever happens next, what Jesus is actually teaching is that you li- you're born, you live your life, you come to faith in Christ, and he says you're born again at that moment. And this is the kind of life Jesus is talking about. You see the difference? This kind of life means that I'm, I'm born in Christ, I'm born again, and then I'm living in him long before I die. My soul is filled with Christ. My soul remains in him for all the days of my life. And yes, my physical body will die, but my life in Christ is already flourishing in him. To the point that as my body fades away and eventually dies, my life in Christ is becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. Eternity doesn't begin when you die. It begins as you put your faith and trust inside of him. It starts in Jesus, and it it continues as you remain in him. The third thing this passage teaches us is that it is Jesus who is the tree of life. Jesus is the tree of life. What does he say? He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. You know, there's an Old Testament um, curse that says, cursed is the man who hangs on the tree. So in Jewish traditions and customs, 
anybody, what that basically meant is if somebody was executed because they were a criminal, they were hung from a tree, that was a, they were cursed because of that. And Jesus comes into the picture and he lives a sinless life. And what happens to Jesus? He is hung on a tree. And the cross becomes a tree of life for us. That through Jesus' death on the cross, we are offered eternal life. I am the vine, you are the branches. You know, it's interesting, biblical scholars have often commented on the fact that the tree of life makes this dramatic appearance at the beginning of your Bible. And then it's hidden, not just in reality, but it's hidden in scripture. You don't see it anymore in the Bible until you get to the very end of the Bible. The picture of heaven coming to earth as God's kingdom is established on earth as it is in heaven. And John's looking at this picture and he says, and there in the middle of the city was the tree of life bearing fruit for all the nations for any who would come and eat. See, the tree that, that sin kept us from, from getting to, Jesus has given us access to this life. Jesus is the tree of life. So how do we secure the future our souls crave? It begins by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. If you've never done that, I would encourage you to surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ. But that's not all. To have the future your soul desires requires that we abide in him, that we continue in him. So maybe for most of you here today, I would guess you've given your heart and life to Christ. But my question for you is, are you remaining in him? Are you abiding in him? so that your soul is secure in the future that it longs for, that it craves. Here's what I wanna challenge you to do this week. Whether you're a new believer, you've been following Jesus for 50 years, or, or even if you are thinking about committing your life to Christ, let me, let me challenge you to do this. Strive to fill every moment of, your, moment of your life with a conscious awareness of and surrender to God's presence. Strive to fill every moment of your life with a conscious awareness of and surrender to God's presence. See, God isn't waiting for you to get to heaven to fill you with his presence. Let me say that one more time. God, God is not waiting. He does not make you wait for you to die and go to heaven to fill you with his presence. God wants to do that right now in your physical existence. He wants you to be as close to him now as you will ever be if you will surrender every moment of your day to Jesus Christ. There are 525,600 minutes in a year. How many of those minutes this year will you and will I commit to living with God, fully aware of his presence, fully surrendered to him as you drive to work, as you're engaged in a difficult conversation, as you go about your daily tasks, what would it look like this week if you just asked yourself frequently throughout the day, am I abiding in Christ right now? Am I giving my soul what it longs for, the eternity it is seeking by abiding in Jesus right now, in this moment? Am I surrendered to him? Am I aware of his presence? How many minutes today, how many minutes this week can you live fully aware and fully surrendered to God? Dallas Willard, the great philosopher and Bible scholar, loved the Lord. And as he was coming toward the end of his life, he was dying of cancer. And I, maybe you've known people like this. I've had the privilege of knowing some folks like this where 
It just seemed like they were so much in God's presence that you almost felt like you were entering into God's presence when you were in their presence. They just had such a peace and a confidence uh, and there was such a satisfaction and deep contentment regardless of their circumstances. Maybe you've known somebody like that. Well, by all accounts, Dallas Willard was like that. In fact, as he was dying of cancer, he said to his wife, sometimes I wonder if I'll notice when I'm dead. I wonder if I will even know that this life has ended and the next life has begun. Well, what Dallas Willard meant by that is he said he was so filled with God's presence. He was so aware of the presence of Christ in him and in his life that he said, I can't imagine that it would be any better when I die. Sometimes I wonder if I'll know the difference. John Ortberg, in writing about his life, when he heard about Dallas's death, he he wrote this statement. He said, I wonder if after Dallas died, if anybody told him he was dead. <laughs> I, that's what I want. I want. I want that kind of life. I want to be so filled and aware of God's presence in my life and my every conversation and my every interaction, so surrendered to him in everything I do that my soul's satisfied with eternity because it's not waiting for it someday in the future. It's living it right here right now, fully aware of Jesus. And someday my body will die, but my life in Christ will go on for eternity. And even better news, there's a resurrection day coming when all the dead in Christ shall be raised. What a great hope we have. What a promise we have. Begin living life in God in the small moments of your everyday existence. Work this week to surrender and be aware of God in every moment. John 15 goes on. Jesus later on says this. He says, my command to you is this, that you love each other as I have loved you. It's interesting. I, I, I struggled for a long time to make the connection between the second part of John 15 and the first part of John 15. And I realized that, that part of the reason Jesus wants us to exercise this is because you have never met a person who wasn't hardwired for eternity. You've never met a person whose soul was not designed for eternity. And so Jesus is saying, as we embrace him in the moment, we also embrace each other, knowing the value and worth of every single human soul. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me. As our musicians come, we're going to extend an invitation to you. For those of you who are here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, maybe today would be the day you would take that first step and just say, I I surrender my life to Christ. You can do that right where you are. You can do that by coming forward and praying with me. You can respond on your communication card that you want to talk to a pastor. But for others, maybe today you will realize that Jesus has really been like a life insurance policy to you. You came to faith in Jesus and then you filed it away somewhere and you're just looking forward to that day that the life insurance pays off with eternity. But your soul, meanwhile, is longing for a future right now. Maybe, maybe for you today, it's just a recommitment to living fully aware and fully surrendered to Jesus, abiding in him every moment of the day. Whatever God is doing in your heart right now, I'm just gonna invite you to surrender to him. Right where you are, or you can come forward and pray with me, but whatever God is speaking to your heart right now, would you just be obedient to him in this moment, in this moment, and for all eternity.
Jesus, we thank you for the hope that you give us. Lord, as our souls are longing for eternity, you did not leave us forgotten, neglected, abandoned, but you have given us the promise and the hope of eternal life in Jesus, not just someday, but right here, right now. God, would you fill us with your presence? Would you make us fully aware of who you are? Not just now as we're gathered, but even as we leave here and as we scatter, may we be filled with an awareness of you and a surrender to you each and every moment of the day. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Aspire Church Podcast. If what you've heard has been helpful, please subscribe and rate our podcast and share it with a friend. If you'd like to support the ministry of Aspire Church or want someone to contact you personally, please visit our website at aspirejacks.org. 